Hello all and welcome to another episode of the Black on Black Education Podcast. Excited to be doing an interview uh, with Eva today, a joint interview interviewing Miss Misha Mosley of the Black Teachers Project. And it's obviously a crazy moment and crazy time going on uh, in terms of COVID-19 and we have a discussion today around the disproportionate uh, way that this is affecting black and brown students. Uh, we talk through uh, the Black Teachers Project and what they do in general, um, and we talk about some ways that uh, we can improve upon what education looks like after this. Um, so let's get started. All right, all right. So we are here with Misha from the Black Teachers Project. We started today with a little bit of technical difficulties, but we are here now. So thank you so much for joining us today, Misha. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. So uh, I guess we should start with the elephant in the room. Um, you know, obviously we are uh, <laughs> in the time of uh, COVID-19 and it feels like everything um, has changed in the last two um, or three weeks. And um, I'm interested to find out, you know, what insights, um, you know, have, have come uh, from, this, uh, from this three weeks from, uh, from your perspective. You know, uh, I think one of the most important insights is for us, to really use this. I've been calling this the great pause. It's our time to just really be still and not try to power through as though we're not in the middle of a global pandemic. Um, and, and really take a moment to get clear about what's important, um, to not try to replicate the dysfunction that we were in prior to this moment. Um, so, you know, I see with schools, people trying to like, make school what it was, the broken system that it was in person, trying to bring that brokenness online. Mm. And so for me, this is a time to, to pause, to reimagine our collective liberation and to reimagine mm. what education can be from a liberated space. And for us to use the tool of technology to do that, as opposed to trying to fit our notions of teaching and learning and being into the technology. Love, love that you started there. Um, and, and now that people, you know, get that perspective from you, um, share a little bit about where that perspective comes from. Talk a little bit about what uh, the Black Teachers Project is um, and, and how that informs, think about, uh, you know, what, what people are looking mm -hmm. at. Yeah, so, you know, the Black Teacher Project is really all about lifting up Black teacher leadership, uh, to transform schools and to reimagine schools as liberated learning spaces. So it's interesting that this is happening in this time as we have been in the process. We've been around for about four years. Um, and in that time, we've been trying to do a lot of listening to Black teachers, lifting up Black teachers who are doing uh, really important work, and really think about how we can shift power. So, you know, in the beginnings, we were all about, we got to have more black teachers, get our numbers up. And we quickly realized that having more people enacting inequity is not what we want. We actually have to build a teaching force that has a shift in mindset and uh, a shift in consciousness around what we want schools to be. So for us to be in the middle of this great pause right now, um, we're seeing some fantastic things happen from black teachers. We're seeing teachers really express like one, Everybody's, you know, sit down, be humble right about now. Everybody's in that sit down, be humble 
when it comes to homeschooling and all of that and just appreciating what teachers bring. But Black teachers in particular know schools were never designed for us, yet we've always used education in school as a means to our liberation. And so as we're in the midst of this 21st century turn, we have two, we're two decades in and we're like, whoop, we got to do something. Um, now is this time for us to really pause and say, okay, let's not just keep getting black bodies in the space. Let's actually shift some things so that we can shift power, really. Um, so that's a lot of what we're up to, a lot of um, what we're thinking about uh, in, in, terms of, in terms of the work. No, that's, um, I mean, I think everything that you said is, is what we've been talking about in terms of what this pause um, can be. Um, and I think that something huge that's coming out of this pause is showing so clearly the exacerbated um, inequities within our education system. Um, a school like the one that I went to, the transition from, um, from in school to, to home was not very difficult. They had Chromebooks in the back for every single student that goes to the school. So right. now you don't have to worry about the children not having access to technology because you just gave it to them. No problem, no issue. Everybody line up, boop, 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 right. boop, boop, gone, go home. And log on to Zoom tomorrow, classes proceed as normal. And we're seeing for, for I spoke to a teacher uh, recently about, we're seeing schools in black and brown communities and in low income communities, underserved communities, where kids are going home with packets. The, the original thought was that they were gonna be gone for two weeks, sent them home with packets. Now kids can't come back and they have a two week packet that's supposed to be their education for the next how many months. Right. Um, and so organization like yours, what are you hoping comes out in what I am hoping in September when we are back in the physical space of school buildings, you as an organization, what are you guys looking for from education policymakers, from people who are making those decisions um, in the change that needs to be made in terms of funding um, and creating a more equitable education system? Yeah, I mean, I, I hope a lot of what we, what we see from policymakers is a, a response to the reality of how unprepared we were, <laughs> excuse me, pardon me, and how inequitable the systems are. So one, uh, a redistribution of resources, right? Like this is absolutely showing us, you know, as we were mentioning even before we got on air, that even if folks are uh, sending home technology, if folks don't have internet at home, what are you assuming about their ability to actually engage with that technology? So how do we think about internet for all? How do we think about, um, you know, what some of these, these resources um, in terms of the, the physical technology can look like? But I would also offer, you know, no one, what I find very interesting is that I'm not hearing the same conversation about common core, about standards, right? Like right now, folks are in a pedagogical crisis. Folks don't really know how to teach under these conditions. Mm -hmm. And I would offer what we're learning from this moment is the question of what we actually need to know. And if you mm -hmm. watch social media, you see all these folks say, your kid is not going to remember what you taught them in the spring of 2020. But they will remember how they felt during this time and during this experience. And so when we think about that 
curriculum pedagogy, that content process dynamic, I hope that policymakers really spend some attention, for lack of a better term, retooling what content we think is important. When I think about students with special needs, you know, that if we go back to that idea of the canary in the mind, our students with special needs let us know how prepared we are, let us know how equitable or inequitable this system is. So I have several uh, friends and several teachers in the Black Teacher Project who are special education teachers, right? Many special education teachers are Black. And what we're finding is for the students who are, are learning in ways that are so different to how school is set up, right? A packet and even the computer is not gonna meet their learning needs. So how are policymakers actually helping us reimagine what and how we need to learn to best reach those students? And so it's my hope that in the fall, we'll really start to see an investment in some of the creative um, ideas that have come out of this time, but also in, in a, a, a reprioritizing of where we need to go and what we need to do. Because, you know, as I'm helping uh, one of my colleagues do some curriculum planning, they're trying to move forward like, you need to know all the details about the French Revolution in order to like, get your <laughs> life right now. And I'm right. sorry, you just don't. I'm like, I'm, I'm talking to her, I'm like, that's not important right now. Right. No. <laughs> just, right. You know, it's not. Um, so, so I think that, but there are folks who would argue that's what's wrong with education today. The kids don't know the classics. And I'm like, really? That's what's wrong. In this moment, that's right. the problem? Right. No. <laughs> right. I mean, I, I definitely love what you're saying there. And, um, and I think we talked a little bit about this when we were on the phone. Um, you know, the, the, obviously, with every single challenge, there, there also comes, you know, opportunity. Um, and, you know, as policymakers that, that you're discussing, I hope that they're um, asking themselves the questions that, that, that we're asking. But uh, I, the reality is, I don't know that they're doing that. Um, but since we are asking the questions, I think it's going to give us lots and lots of, uh, you know, kind of information to be able to, to, to get into those policymakers' minds, um, you know, as this thing goes along, as well as, uh, you know, when, when, when kind of September goes around and getting them prepared for it. Um, so what, what do you think some ways that we might be able to best influence said policymakers? One, one of the things I've been thinking about is, is and started to put together um, is like a survey. I feel like um, we should be surveying students, we should be surveying parents, and we should be surveying teachers to get a better understanding of what it is um, that they've learned over the course of this last two weeks. Um, and, and, and I love to ask the question kind of like, what if we started all over? Um, because this is, a, it's a pause, it's a reset. It's, it's in some ways, you know, there, there is a starting all over. So what, what, what do you think uh, we need to be, you know, asking people at, so that we can get the, the proper information into policymakers' hands so that they can actually, you know, work to, to change the system? Yeah, I think one of the most important questions is for adults is what have you learned about how your student learns, how your child learns? And so, you know, for, I think for many parents, this is shifting their relationship with their kids. But I think I have seen a difference. So many of my friends are in the field of education. And so what they're doing with their children versus what friends who are not in the field of education are doing with their kids. Um, I think we could do a better job of helping those of us in the field helping our friends ask some of those larger questions. And so 
when you, you know, talk about the survey, I think that's a great idea. I think the question of how we understand the way students learn and what they feel interested and passionate about in terms of learning are key pieces of information that can inform where we go next. You know, I often say for many of us who are on the other side of 40, uh, we were trained to be educators before the internet. Like we were trained during like entirely different, I mean, imagine this pandemic with no internet. Right. Right, and so one, it used to be that way. Like, that, like this is not the first time the world has had a health crisis. As a, as a history teacher, a former social studies teacher, the, the lack of historical knowledge hurts my heart. Like folks continue to freak out like none of these things have ever happened before. And I'm like, really? <laughs> the world has seen plagues before. We just didn't have like video recordings of them. And so, you know, how we understand some of the foundational basics of how we relate as a community, I think is important. I also feel like uh, for policymakers, it'll be important for us to start to pay attention to our local communities. In our efforts to make everything nationalized, you know, we're, we're missing some stuff. So if New York City is the epicenter right now, when I think about what young people in New York City need, as I sit here in California, right, New York City goes up, California goes wide. And I think about all of the places in between. What do folks actually need in terms of even the space to learn, right? So right now, I have friends out here who are doing science with their kids in the front yard. And even if they live in an apartment building, they're, you know, the weather and the, the climate allows them to, to have a different kind of access, right? Whereas for a lot of folks in places where if you're living in, a pro, in the projects, where you're, you're on the 17th floor, where, where, what, is it, what does the learning um, environment look like for you? Right? right? And so the response that I would expect in New York might be different than the response in a rural area. And so what folks need to know in order to be uh, thriving members of their community is going to look different as well. So for me, I think, you know, not only paying attention to, to what, how your kids learn, what they're interested in, but really paying attention to if there was no school, how would I teach my child? And for adults to be able to pause, I think this is a great pause for adults, for parents, and, you know, I'm, I am the auntie of many, some by blood, some by choice. Aunties unite. Um, you know, for, for us aunties and uncles and, and, you know, for the nibblings and siblings, like, how do we support parents in really thinking about the creative ways for, for young people to learn? Because I think we have become over-reliant on schools. And if we understand schools as like long, decades-long sites of oppression, we would not give schools as much power as we do. Until we're able to turn schools into sites of liberation, we need to be more cautious, right? And this is not to disparage teachers, obviously, but it is to recognize that systemically, teachers are fighting against something. Too often, parents don't realize that. And so it's like, oh, this is what the school said, let's just go. But what if there were no school, right? And so folks sometimes equate the school didn't send anything home with I can't teach my child. 
Right. And, and that's just simply not the case. It can't be the case because we, 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 we were learning before school. Our ancestors as black people, we weren't even allowed to go to, I mean, you think about 100 years ago in 1920, how many of us were rolling up to a school looking for a packet in 1920? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? We were escaping lynching. We're talking about the great migration. We were fighting for our lives. So we need to put school in its place. It has a role. There is the potential for liberation, but we can't put all of our liberation eggs in that basket. Mm. You, you brought up the term liberation uh, a number of times there. Um, and I, when I was on this site, I, I, I saw you, you know, communicate about liberated learning. Um, why don't you tell people, uh, you know, exactly what that is? Go, go a little bit deeper um, on that. Yep, yep. I think, you know, for us, when we talk about liberated learning, it's, it's still an emergent term for us, right? So part of it is, are you uncovering the legacy and current manifestation of oppression? So first, it's sort of like, part of liberation is understanding, you know, what, when Harriet Tubman is like, I would have freed more if I could have convinced them that they were enslaved, right? Like, first, you have to understand how oppression works and how oppression works in your learning. And that liberation is uh, both the content and the process that interrupts that, that imagines something new. So part of a liberated learning space is something you feel, right? When you are being creative, when you are asked to take your prior knowledge and grow, right? When you are learning things that take you just out of your comfort zone, but not into a place that causes you distress. Liberated learning is also about how you are um, encouraged to be able to um, go beyond what we know now. So when we think about teaching and learning, and again, I'm going to keep coming back to this. People often say I sound like a broken record with this internet thing. But as someone who's blessed to grow up before the internet, I am fully aware that whatever my understanding is now is not all there is. And I think too often we just think this is it. What, what the world looks like, what's possible is what's in front of us. And so liberated learning tells us that there's something beyond what we can see. It allows us to understand that I am learning now so that I can be uh, someone who contributes to my community for several generations from now. So it is about my individual experience as a learner, but also my commitment to communities beyond this lifetime. So liberated learning is about liberation of future generations because we're not going to fix centuries of oppression in one lifetime. But if mm -hmm. I am learning in such a way that it allows me to think beyond my lifetime, it allows me to set the stage for those coming behind me, that is our collective liberation. And that's the learning that we need to be up to. So when people start arguing over content, I'm like, right, we have the internet. We can learn just about any content that we want. But how do we analyze the perspectives about that content? How do, we, how do we think beyond the moment? The folks who are working to find vaccines or cures or whatever it is they're going to come up, come up with to help us through this virus, if they weren't thinking beyond this moment, they'd be like, whoop, we got a virus. Good luck. <laughs> somebody has to think beyond the current condition. And I would argue that, that in the best case scenario, um, those folks are doing that through, through a, an experience of liberation. 
Paint the picture um, for me a little bit. Let's let's go ten years out um, where we're closer to uh, you know to the liberated learning that you're uh, that that you're describing, um, where where um, it's been adopted. Uh, so I'm, I'm thinking you know kind of to begin with the end in mind model, um, and and it's a two part question. What what would that look like? What would that look like for the, this you know next generation of kids coming up? Um, and then just you know communicate a couple of the steps that we might be uh, able to take to get there. So I think uh, first you would see young people driving more of their learning, kind of like a Montessori style, you know, where the adults are really clear over the course of however many years, here's some content that we want you to know. And liberated learning means that we are allowing young people to be expressed enough, excuse me, so that we can understand how they learn best. For For the parents with knowledge and resources, Parents will put their kids in learning environments that fit them, right? So if you have enough money to send your kid to private school, you're going to decide if you want the, like, you're in rows, you're just going to memorize this stuff type of learning, or if you want the school without walls learning, you want them to learn through play, right? So we have models of that for those who have resources. So when I think 10 years out, part of it is that when we think about our early childhood assessments, it's not just do you know your letters. I'm actually Mm -hmm. assessing you for your joy. I'm assessing Mm -hmm. you for what you're curious about and how you manifest what you've learned. I'm talking about a whole different kind of assessment, not to box you in and say, oh, you're a black child. You learn through movement, so you have to do all this stuff. Like, you can never sit still, because they tried to do that to us in the 80s, right? Like, I'm not talking about that kind of boxing in, but more of a an appreciation and realization of the different learning styles that folks have. So that assessment is really understanding from the learner's perspective. And we would reorganize our teaching to be able to meet multiple needs. First and foremost, I personally believe we teachers need more training and more preparation. And if we started with what we now come to understand or call um, special education, right? Uh, special education is individual, you know, the way we, the way we even think about that, these, these learners are different. Different from whom? Different from the mythical student? We're all different yeah. from that mythical student, right? So when I think about how special education teachers are prepared, if all teachers had that depth of preparation, when you look at what they're doing, they're paying attention to their students. They have smaller class sizes so that they can actually personalize that learning a little bit more. So I would want to see on the other side of this experience more opportunities for that. All of that is about money. So when people talk about money and education, often they want to invest in the, the, the new hot thing. And I would offer if we could get our salaries up and our class sizes down and really invest in teachers being prepared for the students that are in front of them, we would, we would start to see the shift. This is not just about, like, what's the latest textbook. This is about how do we understand the human beings in front of us. So I, I think, you know, what I was saying earlier about parents, when, when you come to parent-teacher parent night in the fall, I've seen parents come and say, here's my child. Here's, where they, here's how they learn best. Here's what happened last year. Here's where they succeeded. Here's where they had trouble. And I need you, teacher, to know that. 
And don't act like you don't know that because so often parent-teacher conferences are the parents coming to hear the teacher talk about their kids. But the right. teachers who I see are doing excellent work will send home a survey to parents and say, come back with the survey complete so we can talk about it. Talk to your child about what they need so that I, as your teacher, can best meet your needs. So those are some of the things that I would, I would want to see the, the, the shift in reinvestment in so that people can do their best work. Yeah. So for me, as someone who's preparing in the fall to be a special education teacher, um, it's very interesting to me uh, hearing that perspective, because for me, I was I was afraid of like what special education meant or like who I was going to serve with special education. And as I'm getting closer and closer to like being in that space, I'm like, so is there a particular reason why everyone's not getting their independent learning plan? Like, is there a particular reason why everybody isn't getting like this individualized attention or these catered assignments or these different things that like make complete and total sense? And so everything that you said kind of like clarified for me the importance of, I think this is something that him and I kind of not, not disagree about, but we go back and forth about like what it means to have teacher training. And like, so I'm not mm -hmm. someone who advocates that every master's program that says it's it's for for education is going to is going to churn out teachers that are necessary um i think but, but i think that the training has to exist and it has to exist in a wider scope and and in 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 a in a, in a way that is pulling from everything that you're saying from so much of what you're saying because if we aren't individualizing this conversation and we continue to turn out students that know when the French Revolution started, but that don't understand that they don't do well reading and testing and reading and testing. Like that, 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 that that's just not how they know how to operate. And, and actually to her point, I mean, maybe, and maybe you can help color the, the conversation because it's not a disagreement. It's, it is, um, it's just a, you know, I think it's, it's I'll just ask. Um, you, you obviously are around a lot of teachers, that, you know, as part of the Black Teacher Project. My personal opinion, um, you know, is, is that there's lots of teachers that are in the classroom that just simply don't belong there. It doesn't matter what training they received or, it you know, like, I, I, I shouldn't received. say it doesn't matter. Well, many of them received whatever training, to your point, you know, uh, when, when they, they received most of it um, prior to the Internet and, and, and things to that effect. So, um I believe I don't have a college degree. I don't. I didn't. I don't have a teacher training per se. But I believe if you you know gave me the right amount of money and put me in a classroom, that I can do some incredible things um, for 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 children. Now, granted, I would have to learn along the way. I, I don't think teaching is just like hey, I can you know do it kind of kind of thing. Um, I guess the question there is. Um, damn question my bad <laughs> i think from what you're saying is like what if <laughs> you're saying to help you out of it i think from what you're saying and like coming to a close is like what is integral for teachers or people who think they want to be teachers so when we met and had a conversation before this um we were having conversations about pathways to teaching in new york city and that you can do new york teaching new york city teaching fellows you can do teach for america which is the path that i'm taking you can do these different things and i think that they are incredible for people who are in it for the right reason so what is so what is integral to those 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 um teacher training um, th these teacher training projects, what's integral to those things to make sure that they are turning out teachers that are doing what their students um, eventually need? Mm -hmm. You know, I would say first and foremost, um, a lot of it has to do with 
afraid of what teaching in the 21st century is. And like I say that because if you're still thinking about 20th century teaching, you're missing it, right? Mm. Like if you're like, oh, good teaching is good teaching and that's just the way, like good functioning inside of oppressive systems of schooling, oh yeah, there's a right way to do that. Mm-hmm. But if we're talking, you go back to the great philosophers and the folks, right? It was individualized teaching, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and small groups, small groups of white men for the most part in the way that we've come to understand how our current system was, was set up. And so for me, first is, what's your view of your role as a teacher and what your function is inside of school? If folks don't understand that their role is to interrupt oppression, you're missing it. Like, mm-hmm. first and foremost, you, you are, like, in the same way that these first responders are running into the virus, into the fire, because they understand no matter what's going on, my job is to help heal is to save lives, right? They're not like, oh, should I save this life? Or how should I save this life? Or what, you know, they're like, this is my overall frame. And so for teachers, understanding that I'm educating to help liberate the generations after me. Mm. When it comes to preparation, I think a lot of the preparation is about who do you imagine in front of you, right? And Mm. so, you know, too often people are being prepared for mythical grade level cookie cutter students that have a whole set of stuff going on at home, that's not actually true for the people that they're gonna be in front of. And so then the students get blamed for not fitting the model of the mythical student. And so I would offer that when we think about teacher preparation, if I know my job is to interrupt oppression, the first thing I'm gonna say is where might I teach? If I'm gonna teach in an urban area I don't have to look far for how oppression is manifesting. Great. I'm going to, one, have to start telling my students different things about how intelligent they are and how smart they are inside of this. You know, I'm going to have to talk them up because school's not done that. So I know I'm going to need to do that. I'm going to need to listen and understand what's going on with you. I'm going to know, I'm going to need to know how to assess your knowledge, your skill, your way of learning. Most teacher preparation programs aren't, you know, like you might have an assessment that is about literacy or about math, but it's not necessarily an assessment of how a child learns. Mm-hmm. Then I would want to do a deep dive. Like I said, I think special education teachers, for, you know, personally, I want to go back into the classroom having been retrained as a special education teacher because I think they have the greatest skill and knowledge base. And so because you're looking at students differently. Right? You're not trying to push through curriculum. I have a friend who's teaching high school and she's working with students who are considered quote unquote severe and she's trying to get them ready to be able to, to be functioning adults. She's trying to get them ready to actually be able to live on their own. She's not worried about the French Revolution. Right? <laughs> and she also knows she's got to counter all the messages that they've received about being dumb. And so oh, rather yeah. someone's diagnosed as a special education student or not, we hear time and time again, our student athletes, oh, you're a good baller. That's all you got to do. Just focus on that. And then they blow out their knee and they don't have any sense of what else they they might uh, be interested in or be able to contribute to the world. So when I think about that preparation, it's those pieces. Now, I've, I've sort of been pushing content to the side, but one of the things that we see with teachers that often kind of gets folks stuck 
is when you don't know your content. Because if you're a chapter ahead of the students, problems, problems. So if you, there is a particular set of content that you're interested in or that you know you're going to teach, know that. Learn that. Because when you know it well, you can move with it in a different way. So I think about, um, I know my timetables. I know I'm good. I'm an adult in the world. But if I had to teach someone times tables, I may only know one or two ways to do that, right? So if I were going to come back, I think about when I'm hanging out with my nephews, right? I'm the fun auntie that wants to, like, play math games, right? So if I'm, if I'm playing with them, I have to know I can't just teach them the way the workbook would say. I've got to be creative. I've got to know my times tables inside and out so that no matter how your brain works, I have the opportunity to teach you about those things in that way. So, you know, there's a teacher shortage, and there has been for a while. And our answer to that was to open the floodgates. When there was a so-called engineering shortage, our answer to that was to give greater access, but to keep salaries high, to make it something that folks might want to get in and might want to get into the field, right, because they see it as valuable. And so I'm going to just name that until we actually start to shift the role of educators to be on the level of doctors, lawyers, and engineers, I don't believe that we're going to see very much interrupted in these patterns right now because mm -hmm. it's still seen as um, anybody can do it, right? right. We, don't, we don't see the rigor necessary in the preparation. We don't see it as a specialized field. So most of us have the, the gift of being able to go to the doctor as a child, but we don't pretend that we can just be a doctor. Most of us have the gift of going to school as a child, but we have the assumption that anybody can be a teacher. And that bears out, right? And so I think as much as I'm saying all of these little tips and things, there's a core value system that needs to be interrupted about the role of education and teaching in order for us to see the massive change that we want to see. But on a localized level, a lot of mindset shift and a lot of the adults, whether you have kids or not, if you have young people in your life, really supporting their learning in and out of school is the best thing that we can do right now. Yeah. And I think what you said um, about changing like the focal point of where a teacher should be held in our society. I think that this has the potential to do that right. because of how many parents are at home. Like, right. oh. <laughs> like they, they're at home, they don't know what to do. And right. they're like, wait, so they're doing this for 40 kids right. every day. Right. Like, and right. I only got three. Uh, uh. Like we gotta be doing something different. Right. And hopefully with what, with the, with the pause, the great pause that we have right now, organizations like yours, organizations like ours, and, and a bunch of sisters and brothers all over, the, um, all over the country are going to be able to keep having these conversations and be ready to push when they're like, yeah, we're just going to go back to normal. No, no, ma'am. <laughs> no, no, ma'am. Because that's not going to work. Misha, I know you had a uh, another uh, obligation coming up. Um, just wanted to find that first. Thank you, you know, for for uh, for joining Amazing us. We definitely appreciate the time and appreciate the combo. Um, do you have any questions you want to ask us? I'm curious as to where where you see your work going. Um, mm. You know, what what do you feel like 
you've you've learned and been able to contribute thus far, and where do you see like the next little bit of time? I don't even want to put a time frame on it, but like you know, kind of like what's the good stuff of where you've been and and where you're going next? Uh, so I mean, this this was Eva's original idea. You know, she called me excited one morning. You know, she had heard something, and it you know it spun around in her head. Um, prior to it, we've always had uh, lots of conversations about uh, education. We're both you know super passionate about it, um, and you know we we kind of wrapped our minds around a similar long-term vision, um, the how to get their vision. We're still working on, <laughs> working on it. Um, but the long-term vision is, is, is essentially some of, you know, what we, what we talked about is, is me in particular, I, I would be good at, at, you know, talking to some of the people that the, these policy people, um, and, and working at, at influence. I've been a salesperson my whole entire life to, to kind of, um, to tell the, the overall story. Um, but you know, that we, we got, plenty of work to do between, you know, now and then to get there. But ultimately, we'd like to have spaces, like, all across the country um, where people can come to for the liberated learning that you're talking about. Uh, we believe the school should be community centers, not just, you know, a place to go. Um, we, you know, we, we think about maybe going to schools and saying, hey, you know what, you got the building from 7 a.m. To, to 4 p.m. Give us the building from 4 p.m. to 12 p.m. And then bring the tools, the resources, um, and find people to bring the, the dollars and cents to allow us to do those things um, to heal communities, you know, kind of from top to bottom. So that, that that's, um, you know, how see the, 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 you know, the, the broader vision for uh, Black and Black education. And then me, <laughs> I am all, like, the, the physical spaces is, like, that's, that's, I like being in communication with people. I like talking to people. I like learning from people and all of the, and all of the experiences that I've had um, being a teacher and being an educator, I have found that I, that I, it's where I thrive. I'm, when you ask me a question I don't understand, I'm gonna go find the answer to the question. And so, I, I, I'm very excited for that portion, but I'm also, as much as I want to fight it, I'm an academic. I love research. I like reading. I want it, like I want to understand how all those things work. And so from the advocacy side, I want to have numbers so that when he goes and has the conversations with folks that I don't have the patience to have conversations with, um, <laughs> I can, um, I, he can back it up with facts and number and this worked and this happened this way because we did it the way that you guys um, say we should come up with it, but we created different standards and our standards, they're meeting them every time. Um, So we Mm -hmm. want to be able to create that that are allowing students to hit those standards so that the policymakers should say, but it doesn't work. Or that's, 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 that's just you liberal wackies who think that this is no, no, but then why are these students getting into those schools that you said they couldn't? Right. Right. Yeah. So that that's yeah. the that's the overall plan, the two part system. Because we do not <laughs> operate the and I love that's it. the that's I love the <laughs> yep. And then you know, and we want that that transformation to level up, right? Because Absolutely. what we're finding, at least what I've been finding, is sometimes we're okay in getting individual students into top colleges, but then they go there and those colleges because those systems haven't changed they then struggle. You might have killed it in high school, but you weren't prepared for that kind of, right? And so the the innovation and the creativity and the care that we're seeing in K-12, it is my heart that, my heart's hope that we'll start to see that in higher ed so that that can, that can actually be responsive to needs and that, you know, um, 
getting a college education isn't about conforming into this oppressive way of being, but is actually about taking that liberation to a deeper level. Absolutely. I 100% agree. So thank you, thank you, thank, thank you, so you again much. for being with us. Um, we will, thank you. Uh, we will definitely talk more soon. I, I, I know we're going to want to invite you back. Um, in particular, I, I want to talk to you about the the, the assessment piece because I, I really think that uh, we can we could do a whole entire you know show specifically <laughs> on the best ways to to assess kids and their learning so, style. So and Nikki would also be a great asset for that. Yeah, yeah. So let's do that soon. Absolutely. Thank awesome. you so much. Awesome. Thank you. Be well and be safe out there. Yes, please. Thank you. You too. (laughs) Have a good one. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We definitely appreciate you. Don't forget to like, uh, subscribe, um, and check us out on Instagram at Black on Black Ed, um, and engage in the conversation about how we change the future of education for Black people all around the globe.